Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun, old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Welcome back to another bonus episode of Tis the Podcast, the podcast determined to keep the Christmas spirit alive all year, every year. And thanks again for joining us for another installment of Another Christmas Story. This week's chapter, chapter 38, will be read to you by both Danielle and Jackie of the No More Late Fees podcast. I don't have any beginning of the episode housekeeping for y'all this week, so I'm just going to pass it over to them to read to you chapter 38 of our tale, entitled Please Come Home for Christmas. Take it away, guys. Hi, I'm Danielle. And I'm Jackie. And we're just two best friends. And ex-Bockbuster employees, rewatching some of the best and worst movies from the late 90s and early 2000s. Where no more late fees. If you're into some 90s and 2000s nostalgia, definitely come over and check us out. Chapter 38. Please come home for Christmas. December 24th, 11 p.m. Eastern. How could you let this happen? Megan Rankin was standing backstage at Radio City Music Hall after finally having been allowed back there with the rest of the families in attendance for the evening's performance of the Christmas Spectacular nearly an hour after the show ended, staring down Aaron's teacher, principal, and two members of the Music Hall's management team. Bernard Ainsley, and a very stern looking woman called Carolyn Barnes. Her heart was racing with intermingled worry and anger. As beside her, her father Walt placed a reassuring hand onto her lower back to keep her propped up. Listening to the conversation with a grave expression on his face as her mother Linda paced back and forth behind them, appearing just as angry as her daughter felt. Miss Rankin, Miss Rankin, Megan corrected, the principal sharply before plowing on as though she hadn't been interrupted. I asked both of you this morning at the airport to keep an eye out for my son. I told you that he was having problems with these two. She waved her arm in the direction of Chris and Daniel, who were holding a bloodstained tissue to his still bleeding nose both of whom were sitting side by side on a prop couch a few feet away, observing the conversation. How could you have left him alone with them? Miss Rankin, Miss Warren began calmly. I understand why you're upset. Upset doesn't even begin to cover it, Megan snapped. I'm beyond upset. You're lucky I don't sue. 
not only did you let these two monsters cause my son to miss the show, which was not only a once in a lifetime opportunity for him that he had been practicing so damn hard for, but which also cost me a fortune to fly him and my family out here for it. But you also allowed them to physically hurt him and lock him up in the bathroom. Hey lady, look what your son did to me, Daniel shouted, unable to keep his mouth shut any longer. Hey, come on, man, Chris reprimanded, embarrassed as the adults turned to stare at them. Adams, Principal Rodriguez snapped furiously. You're in enough trouble as it is. Keep your mouth shut. Jake, who was sitting on an overturned crate besides Kevin, Holly, and Margot, chuckled to himself as he bounced Amy up and down on his knee. I can't believe Aaron managed to do that. Jake! Linda exclaimed, horrified, as she shot her grandson a look of warning. Dude, it was awesome, Kevin confirmed with a wide smile, adjusting his glasses as Holly and Margot exchanged an exasperated glance. Kids, could you please, Mrs. Warren asked, her voice little more than a whine now. The eight children were the only ones bearing witness to the heated conversation that was taking place between the seven adults at that moment. The Tampa Palm chaperones and Rockettes had hurried the rest of her class and their families that had flown in to see the show to another area of the backstage maze, out of sight and hearing range, so that she and Principal Rodriguez could talk to Aaron's mother with a modicum of privacy, where the stage crew had set up refreshments for them. Turning toward Megan again, she asked, Perhaps we should send the children to... You're lucky that's all my son did to you, Megan hissed at Daniel, ignoring every word her son's teacher had said, unable to believe the young bully's audacity. It sounded like you deserved a hell of a lot more. The words had the desired effect on not only Daniel, but Chris too, and both of them looked horrified that an adult would say such a thing to them. Rounding on the school officials again, Megan continued, I want them punished. Miss Warren nodded her understanding as Principal Rodriguez assured her they will absolutely be suspended. That's not good enough, Megan insisted. I want them expelled. Mrs. Rankin, Ms. Megan angrily corrected again before rounding on Bernard and Carolyn. And you two, what kind of death trap are you running here? Excuse me, Bernard demanded aghast. Doesn't the fact that you're unable to hear someone crying for help from all areas backstage violate some sort of safety code? Megan raised an eyebrow. You're just as much at fault for this. Carolyn Barnes straightened up defiant. Ms. Rankin, she began her voice cold. I understand where you're coming from. I bet any mother would react the same way if they were in your shoes. But you need to calm down. Threatening us isn't the answer, and it most definitely will not make us more sympathetic to your plight. Want to bet? Megan challenged with a growl. Because I'm willing to bet were I to go public with what happened here tonight, people would be a lot more sympathetic towards me and my son than they would be towards you, your theater, or your school. The two music hall employees and the two school officials appeared taken aback by the veiled threat 
and all four sputtered incomprehensibly as they searched around for some way to respond to the irate young mother. Walt, sensing that he needed to step in and try to defuse the situation, stated, Look, why don't we all just take a breath, all right? Where is my grandson anyway? Ms. Warren cleared her throat. One of the rockheads and the show's animal handler went to go get him. She informed the older man, grateful to deal with somebody who was able to remain calm and reasonable. They got along really well with your son earlier, she added, turning towards the distraught mother. They should be back with him any moment. Actually, we couldn't find him. Every head in the vicinity whipped around in time to watch Marcello and Brittany emerge from behind an enormous piece of the set, a wrapped present that was taller and wider than the two of them combined. Both of them looked guilty and nervous and tried their best to stand tall under the withering, accusing stares being levied at them. What do you mean you couldn't find him? Bernard asked wide-eyed. We assumed he'd have gone to calm down and think things over by the stable, Marcello began, removing the Capella hat from his head and twisting it nervously in his hands. Given how quickly he had taken to the animals earlier, especially to Billy. Who's Billy? Linda demanded. Our, our baby goat, Marcello explained. But Aaron was nowhere to be found. He must be somewhere else in the building then, Miss Warren sensibly surmised. Marcello shook his head. We don't think so. And why is that? Miss Barnes asked. When we got to the stable, Brittany began playing with the hem of her skirt, which was still bloody from where she had wiped Aaron's hands clean earlier. We noticed that one of the exit doors was ajar and snow was blowing inside. We think Aaron visited the animals before deciding to take off. A heavy silence followed the rocket's proclamation before Holly finally asked the obvious, her voice high and worried. So he's... He's gone? Her tone was one of disbelief and heartbreak, causing Margot to consolingly throw her arm around her best friend's shoulder. Good riddance, Daniel exclaimed, causing Miss Warren to round on him and shout, Daniel, shut up! Megan, however, ignored the boy as she asked the rocket, But why are you so sure it was Aaron who left the door open? Because Aaron's not the only one missing, Brittany replied quietly, avoiding the eyes of both Bernard and Carolyn by staring down at her feet. And what, pray tell, does that mean exactly? Miss Barnes asked quietly, each word dripping with venomous warning as she cocked an eyebrow. The latch to the gate of the animal pen was left open, Marcello began, to hesitantly explain which is another reason why we think that Aaron stopped there first. But Billy's gone too. My brother kidnapped a goat, Jake asked in disbelief as both Bernard and Carolyn gasped loudly. I think Aaron probably just forgot to make sure that the latch was shut and Billy pushed his way out and went after him, Marcello explained. He really took a liking to him. Megan was barely listening anymore. She swayed dangerously on the spot, a loud buzzing echoing in her ears as one thought dominated her mind. 
I have to find my son, she said simply. Taking a few steps towards the nearest exit door, a few yards away behind Principal Rodriguez and Ms. Warren. Where do you think you're going, Miss Barnes demanded. You'll never find him out there yourself. Do you realize how big New York City is? It'll be like trying to find a needle in a haystack. You should call the cops. You can call the cops, Megan insisted calmly. But I have to try to find him myself in the meantime. It's Christmas Eve. It's cold, it's dark, and he's alone in a city that he doesn't know. He doesn't deserve that. He needs me. She turned to face her mother. You take the kids home and make sure. Are you kidding me? Jake demanded, rising to his feet in stunned disbelief. My brother's lost out there. I'm going to help you find him. Megan was taken aback by her oldest son's dedication. Touch that, despite the show that he constantly put on, the boy actually did care for his younger brother. Flashing him a small smile, she nodded. Okay, of course, yes. Then turning back towards her parents, she instructed, Mom, Dad, take Amy home. She needs to get sleep. Besides, it's too cold to carry her around outside for very long. All right, Linda sputtered as she took the yawning baby girl from her grandson. Are you two going to be all right out there on your own? They won't be alone, ma'am. Marcelo stepped forward, shoving his cobla cap back onto his head. I'll help you look, he informed the young mother. I need to find my goat anyway. Damn right you do, Miss Barnes interjected forcefully. I'm coming too, Brittany insisted. See that, Linda? Walt asked his wife, beaming. I think our daughter will be just fine out there looking for Aaron. We'll come too, Principal Rodriguez indicated, motioning between himself and Mrs. Warren, who nodded enthusiastically. The words were no sooner out of his mouth, however, when one of the parent chaperones, Miss Brady, emerged from around the corner of part of the Central Park set behind them. Bus is here! Principal Rodriguez and Miss Warren exchanged a silent look, both thinking the same thing. Now that the bus was here, they knew that their students would anxiously be waiting to leave to get back to their hotel and get to bed, not only because it had been an exceedingly long day, but also because they were eagerly anticipating Santa's visit. Well, we can't both go, Miss Warren finally broke the silence. One of us should head back to the Marriott with the rest of the kids. You can go back to the hotel, Principal Rodriguez insisted. I'll help look for Aaron. No way, Miss Warren defiantly shook her head. He's my student. I want to help look for him. You go back to the hotel with the kids. When her boss opened his mouth to argue, she pressed on. I'm serious. Go. I'll keep you updated by text. After the briefest moment of hesitation, Principal Rodriguez gave a curt nod. Very well, then. He glanced at the five students gathered near them. Come along, kids. Daniel and Chris eagerly jumped to their feet, desperate to leave the theater and get away from Aaron's mother. Kevin, however, put his foot down. I want to help look for Aaron. Absolutely not. But he's my friend. No. Principal Rodriguez, please. Holly begged. We want to. We're not arguing about this. Be reasonable, Margot said. Kids, 
Miss Warren began quickly, interjecting herself into the conversation before the school's principal could respond again. Go back to the hotel. Aaron will be fine. I promise. We'll find him. All right? Go. Dejected, the kids followed their principal and Miss Brady away from the rest of the group and around the corner of the enormous wrapped present. Just before disappearing from view completely, however, Holly looked back over her shoulder and implored anyone who would listen. Tell him we said hi. Megan clapped her hands together impatiently as she turned to face Marcello and Brittany. Where do you suggest we start? The quickest way to find your son and Billy is to split up, Marcellus insisted. You, your son, and Miss Warren head uptown. Brittany and I will head downtown. We'll check in with one another every 20 minutes via phone for updates. Megan nodded her understanding and whipped her phone out of her purse to hand it to Marcello so he could place his phone number into it. As he did so, she asked, so if we, uh, if we find the goat, what do we do? Marcello smirked as he handed the phone back to the young mother. Just call me and keep an eye on him until we get there. Okay, Megan replied uncertainly as she followed the young Italian man, Brittany, Mrs. Warren, and Jake toward the nearest exit. Good luck, Bernard called after them, twitching nervously. Find that goat, Mrs. Barnes pointedly instructed her employees. Keep us updated, Linda called after her daughter. Say goodbye, Amy, Walt instructed his granddaughter, whom he held closely to his chest, as he waved her tiny hand through the air for her. Bye-bye, Amy cooed. As the five-person search party pushed their way out into the cold, snowy New York night, Megan shivered as a new sense of desperation overcame her. Where the hell could her son have gone in a city that he truly didn't know at all? For the last five hours of his shift, Hudson absentmindedly drove his truck up and down the streets and avenues of Manhattan, his mind racing. He hadn't received any more calls from ACS, whether from Abby, Beverly, or anyone else, nor did he spot any stray animals wandering the streets on his own as he peered through the cab's frosted windows. All the while, he mulled over the conversation he had had with Abby before she finally hung up on him in frustration. Hudson couldn't blame the woman for being angry. He was pretty sure he'd be just as upset if he were in her shoes. What he had said had crossed so many invisible lines. As a mere co-worker, a platonic friend from work, it wasn't his place to lecture her about her ongoing divorce, especially in such a spiteful manner. She had merely tried to give him advice in order to help him, and he was too much of a coward to want to hear it. That's what was bothering Hudson the most. The thing that was making his stomach clench and unclench uncomfortably. The things that Abby had said to him were true, much like the things his own mother had said to him earlier that morning were true. Deep down, Hudson knew it. Both of them were right. And yet, what was he going to do about it? The truth was... He had no idea. Quitting a job he hated without having anything else lined up was a scary prospect, as was ceasing to continue blaming the bad things that happened to him, from his arrest, to his divorce, to his father's death, on his race, because it meant that any future failures would be placed squarely upon the shoulders of his present-day self. And adopting the animals, which had quieted down once again after a while of driving around, was also scary, 
to be responsible for two lives more helpless than his own. As a man who had never been a father, the prospect terrified Hudson. Plus, he lived with his mother. He couldn't just bring them home. It was her house after all. His mother, in fact, was the only person to call him since he pulled away from St. Patrick's Cathedral nearly five hours ago. Multiple times, in fact, and each time Hudson had sent the call straight to voicemail. He didn't feel like talking to her at the moment. Besides, he wanted to keep his line clear in case Beverly, or more importantly, Abby called. He did listen to the woman's messages, however. The first was an angry one, chiding him for not using his dinner break to join his family at mass on the night of Christ's birth. The second one she had placed from her annual Christmas Eve party in which she put his young niece and nephew on the line to say hi and express how much they missed him in a clearly desperate attempt to guilt him for working that evening and missing it. It was a cheap shot in Hudson's mind. After all, he'd be there for the Christmas Day gathering. In fact, his family probably lucked out by not having him present for the party that evening. He wasn't exactly in a Christmassy mood and was sure to have brought the party's atmosphere down. The third voicemail his mother left, however, struck a much gentler tone. Hudson, baby, it's your mama again. Your auntie and Nan and everyone else just left. You missed a good party, sweetie. Hudson noticed the brief pause of hesitation his mother took before she continued. I'm gonna go to I'm going to bed, but it's bad out there. The news is reporting multiple accidents, so please, please be safe and drive home carefully when your shift ends. When you get in, just wake me before going to bed so I know that you're okay. All right, sweetie? I love you, honey. Hudson couldn't help but smile at the words. He loved her too. As much as she always got on his case, he knew that it came from a place of deep affection, just like Abby. And suddenly it all clicked into place in Hudson's mind. Abby's concern for him was not purely of a platonic nature. She cared about him romantically as well, just like he did for her. And as that sudden realization dawned upon Hudson, he was overcome with the sudden urge to call the woman up and apologize to her for what he had said earlier. After glancing at his dashboard clock, however, he thought it might be best to wait until the next morning to do so. Besides, it was unfortunately time for him to do something else. The man's heart rate sped up uncomfortably. As he glanced at Booster and Dexter in the back of his truck, half asleep in their cages. As he surveyed the animals, he bit down on his lower lip and gripped the steering wheel tightly with his clammy hands. He wanted to bring them home with him, but tomorrow was Christmas. The house would be full, and who knew how his mother would react? There was no other choice. He would have to take them to the shelter, as much as it would pain him to do so. Hopefully in a few days after he had a chance to talk to his mother, they would still be available for adoption. All right, guys, Hudson began with a growing sense of trepidation. I hate to say this, but my shift's about to end, so I need to bring you in. He didn't know whether it was the sound of his voice or concern over what he was saying, 
But as the words came out of his mouth, both the dog and the cat stood up and suddenly became alert. As they both began to nervously paw at the doors of their cages, Hudson did his best to reassure them. I swear though, I'll get you out of there in a few days. Okay? I promise. Despite his gentle tone, his words seemed to have the opposite effect of calming the creatures. Indeed, they only became more agitated and began to howl and hiss in terror as they made their best attempts to escape from their steel cages. His heart breaking for them, Hudson tore his eyes away from their images in the rearview mirror to stare out of the windshield at the snowy, though thankfully empty New York City roads. As he turned his truck down Fifth Avenue and began driving south, he began to realize just how tired he actually was. It had been such a long day, and the ruckus being caused by the animals in the back of the truck was doing more to annoy him than it was keeping him awake. So as he had been doing all night whenever the dog or the cat decided to get loud, Hudson turned the volume of the vehicle's radio all the way up. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Hudson sang along with the voices of Elmo and Patsy. Walking home from our house Christmas Eve. Despite the cacophony of sound, Hudson found his eyelids becoming heavier by the second and beginning to droop as Booster and Dexter became louder and irater with each passing moment as well. Finally fed up, Hudson whipped around in his seat to glance at the animals and snapped, Would you two just shut up? Turning back to face the road again, white-knuckling the steering wheel, Hudson's eyes widened in terror as a tall, handsome, shirtless, effeminate-looking man with red hair materialized, seemingly out of thin air, amongst the swirling snow, directly in the center of the road in front of the moving truck. Shit! Hudson slammed on the brakes and wrenched the steering wheel to the right in an effort to avoid hitting the figure. The truck's tires skidded over a particularly icy patch of road and sped out of control, spinning across the street. He desperately tried to steady the vehicle once again, only to jerk his truck suddenly in the opposite direction in order to avoid, was that a goat in the middle of the road? The truck was completely out of control now with no chance of regaining it, and Hudson lost sight of the man and the goat, if they were even real. It could very well have been that his tired eyes were playing tricks on him. It spun so fast that the buildings bordering the street became a mere blur of different colors, though the man could have sworn he caught a glimpse of St. Patrick's Cathedral. Hold on! Hudson yelled at the screeching animals in the back of his truck, feeling as though he was going to be sick. In response, Booster howled, Dexter spat and Hudson screamed before he saw the iconic statue of Atlas rushing towards the front of his vehicle. Then suddenly there was a loud crash followed by a grinding metallic sound and a jolt that caused the cages and the equipment in the cargo hold of his truck to go flying and Hudson to jerk forward hard against his seatbelt. It was only then with smoke now rising out of the front hood of the truck that the world stopped spinning and there was nothing but an extremely loud, prolonged silence. Aaron Rankin had no idea where he was going. Though he had been born in Manhattan, the concrete jungle was completely foreign to him. He felt completely numb, both on the inside due to the events of the day and the outside due to the freezing cold and the snow falling around him. 
As such, he couldn't think properly and was letting his feet guide him along the dark New York streets without any input from his brain or his heart. He wasn't sure whether he was heading uptown, downtown, or merely walking in circles. He didn't have the energy to glance up at the street signs lining each corner, nor did he have any concept of how long he had been wandering the streets or whether or not anyone back at Radio City might have noticed he was missing by now. The only hint he had that it was getting late was the fewer amount of cars driving down the streets with each passing minute. Though in fairness, he reasoned with himself, that could also be due to the fact that driving conditions were awful, walking conditions were bad enough, and that it was Christmas Eve, so most people were probably warm inside at their family gatherings. Aaron was momentarily shaken from his stupor when he rounded a corner and found himself facing an enormous neo-Gothic style cathedral that he knew to be St. Patrick's. He stopped in his tracks as he craned his neck back in awe of the enormous structure, its spires violently piercing the snowy night sky high above. The small child thought that in better conditions, the building could look beautiful, but in the darkness and the swirling snow, it looked terrifying. The sense of dread that Aaron felt as he stared at the church only intensified when he noticed the haunting crooning of the choir within it drifting out toward him on the cold night air, carrying the lyrics of Star of Bethlehem to the boy who involuntarily shivered at the sound. As he stared up at God's house, a new question wormed its way into his mind. He had heard in Sunday school all about the wrath of God, did he bring what had happened to him today upon himself? Had he somehow deserved it? Before he could follow that train of thought down into a dark rabbit hole, there was a loud screeching sound from nearby, which was followed by a loud crash, which shook Aaron from his reverie and made him jump in surprise. He glanced correctly around him, and upon realizing that he was the only living soul within his eyesight on the street, took off as far as he could on the icy sidewalk in the direction of the noise. Son of a bitch, he heard somebody yell loudly. When Aaron came to the end of the block, coming to a stop on the corner of Fifth Avenue, he turned right to see that a small box truck labeled Animal Control Services of New York City had apparently skidded out of control on the snowy street and hit a fire hydrant hard, resulting in the awful screeching sound of metal upon metal that had drawn him to the scene in the first place. The bottom of the truck was jammed over the top of the hydrant, completely struck and the hydrant itself began to spew forth water that froze immediately upon the contact with the outside air resulting in a stream of ice emerging from the red container. After glancing up and down the snowy street to find no other vehicles on the road, nor any other people rushing to help, Aaron cautiously approached the truck. As a white noise loudly emanated from the vehicle's radio, the signal of which must have been disrupted upon the collision. The truck's driver, meanwhile, a young black man who was fighting back the airbags that had deployed within the cab of the truck, was slamming the steering wheel violently in frustration, 
as a stream of swear words that would make any sailor proud came rushing out of his mouth quicker than the smoke arising from beneath the hood of the vehicle, which was spiraling high into the night sky. Aaron stopped in the middle of the street, feet away from the truck, as its tall driver hopped out and stormed around the back to find the doors of his vehicle had violently swung open, staring inside at the cargo hold. He desperately shouted, no, 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 as he slammed his palm loudly against the truck's side. Aaron moved closer, edging around the truck to find that all of the cages within it had been knocked askew and that many of the cage doors had sprung open upon the vehicle's impact with the fire hydrant. The man whipped around at that moment, fury written all over his prematurely lined face, which dissipated almost instantly when he laid his eyes upon Aaron. What are you doing out here all alone on Christmas Eve, kid? He took a tentative step towards the boy, concern written all over his face, but the movement made the child take a few hurried, reflexive steps backwards. Whoa, it's okay. I'm not going to hurt you. The man held up his left hand to show it was empty as he placed his right palm on his chest. My name's Hudson. Are you all right? Aaron nodded before asking, are you? I'll live. Hudson's face darkened slightly, which is more than I can say for others. Then realizing what he said and how it could be misconstrued, he added apologetically, I didn't mean that to come out the way it did. It, well, it doesn't matter. He shook his head. Where are you supposed to be, kid? I'm not supposed to talk to strangers, Aaron mumbled quietly, sounding much younger than he actually was. Hudson considered him for a moment before deciding that it wasn't worth trying to help the defiant boy, who clearly didn't want any assistance, especially when he had other things to worry about. Look, honestly, I get it, he assured the child. I do. I used to wander around the city all by myself when I was your age, too. So I don't need to know the reason that you're out here alone in this weather the night before Christmas, all right? Just, can you tell me if you've seen a dog and a cat run by here? They were in the truck and must have gotten loose when I crashed. He kicked the left rear tire of his vehicle in frustration. Aaron shook his head sorrowfully before glancing in either direction and spotting paw prints in the snow on the ground, heading up the street. Pointing in that direction, he noted, It looks like they may have gone that way. Hudson turned to look where Aaron was pointing, squinting his eyes, and let out a groan of frustration as he noticed the paw prints quickly fade away due to the ever-falling snow from above. Crap! I'm going to lose them! And without another word to Aaron, he took off at a run up the icy street, banking a hard left at the end of the block. Aaron couldn't help but smirk to himself as the man disappeared around the corner leaving him blissfully alone in the middle of the New York street once again. He never wished ill upon other people, though after what had happened earlier in the evening, he couldn't help but hope that both Daniel and Chris eventually got what was coming to them. But he was glad to see he wasn't alone in having a terrible Christmas Eve. He just wasn't feeling the holiday at all this year. His visit with Santa earlier in the day had fooled him into thinking he was excited for it. And that maybe he'd have a good one. But the truth was, he wasn't and he wouldn't. His day sucked. His night had been ruined. And frankly, he didn't even want to celebrate Christmas that year if he couldn't spend it with his mother and siblings. Wasn't that the whole point of the holiday season? Being with the ones you loved? 
His grandparents were great and all, but he couldn't remember the last time he had seen them. And he sure as hell didn't have the attachment to them that he did his mother. At the thought of his mother, he grew both furious and embarrassed once again. Daniel had screwed up the one chance he had had to make her proud. She was sure to be disappointed in him when he went home. And the thought of facing that disappointment when returning to Florida was almost too much to bear. Wasn't Christmas Eve supposed to be a time for miracles? A time for giving? Instead, Aaron was left alone in despair. The whole thing was a farce. Pouting and squeezing his his eyes shut against a cascade of tears he could feel desperately wanted to fall down his face. He kicked the abandoned animal control truck hard, exclaiming loudly, as he did so. I hate Christmas. The sudden outburst felt good, almost as though it had allowed him to unburden himself. So sucking in as much air as he could, he shouted again as loudly as he could. I hate Christmas. This time his voice echoed around the barren street, sending a few pigeons flying into the air from where they had been hiding beneath a vacant bench. Smirking to himself, Aaron breathed heavily as he scrunched his face up against a heavy wind that blew his way. That's when he noticed a large shadow moving closer to him along the side of a building, projected onto it by the box truck's headlights, which were still shining brightly. Aaron could make out a short scraggly beard and two horns atop the shadow's head which preceded the sound of hooves clopping on the icy pavement by seconds. Aaron's mouth fell open in horror as his stomach sank out from beneath him. As his wide eyes remained transfixed on the shadow, he thought back to earlier in the day when Daniel and Chris had informed him who Krampus was, a goat-like monster that visited children who didn't believe in Santa and had lost the spirit of Christmas. Was it possible they had been telling the truth? The clopping of the hooves drew closer as the shadow grew larger and Aaron was about to turn tail and run away when his eyes finally found the source of the illusion. Billy? The young goat bawled happily when it spotted Aaron and ran slipping and sliding across the icy street up to the young boy. It was unable to stop itself when it reached him, however, and bowled over so that Aaron fell into the mound of snow laughing loudly as Billy leaned down to excitedly lick his face. What are you doing here? Aaron exclaimed as he gently patted the goat's head and neck. You scared me. And then he noticed how much the young animal was shivering. You're freezing. Aaron pushed himself to his feet, which caused Billy to rub up against his leg like a cat. Did you come out here to find me? He asked quietly to which the goat bawled softly in response. Aaron hesitantly bit down on his lower lip. Though he didn't want to go back to Radio City Music Hall, didn't want to face his teacher, classmates, or grandparents, he knew that the goat wouldn't be able to stay outside in this type of weather much longer without making itself ill. That thought was enough to force Aaron to let out a sigh of resignation as he realized he had no choice but to take a devoted animal back to the theater. And frankly, Aaron knew that he himself needed to get inside soon too. So staring down into the kid's baleful eyes, he said, 
come on, let's get you back home. He stared around at all the different directions they could take, his heart faltering slightly, wherever home may be. After a moment's hesitation, he decided to walk down the block and turn right, and was glad to see that Billy followed along after him without much cajoling. The idea of helping the baby goat put Aaron's mind at ease somewhat, forcing him to focus on something other than the events of the day. Plus, in a weird way, he reasoned with himself that by getting the goat home, he was indulging in the true meaning of Christmas, helping those in need. It wasn't just the goat falling sick in the cold that Aaron had to worry about. After all, he also had to contend with being spotted by any city officials on the way back to the music hall for fear that they'd call animal control and have them take the poor thing away in a cage. The thought of such a thing happening, of the ever-sweet Billy spending Christmas alone and scared, isolated in the pound, was too much for Aaron to bear, and it was enough to make him pick up his pace. Midway down the block that they were walking, he came to a stop in front of a life-size nativity display, which was at the nearest end of the long-stretching channel gardens, lined by glowing wire sculpture angels holding trumpets that were angled toward the enormous, brightly lit Rockefeller Center Christmas tree at the far end of the gardens. The display made Aaron's mouth drop open in amazement, and beside him, even the goat's eyes seemed to widen as it took in the bright, beautiful scene. Though Aaron had seen the tree earlier, it hadn't been from this angle, and it had also been in broad daylight. And, while still stunning at the time, it paled in comparison to what the behemoth fur looked like lit up at night. Even better still was the fact that Aaron knew that Radio City was in the immediate vicinity of the world-famous tree, and he wasn't that far from getting Billy back home and into Marcello's care. In fact, further along the street upon which he stood, he could make out the bright neon sign that marked the front entrance of the theater. Smiling to himself, Aaron took a few more steps up Fifth Avenue before coming to a complete stop again. A few feet away from him, a little further up the road, a lone woman sat upon a bench. She was hunched over, holding her stomach, and though he couldn't make out her face clearly, it looked to Aaron as though she might be crying. He thought for a moment that she might be sick, or had maybe drank too much eggnog at a party or something, and considered approaching her to see if she was all right. But then it dawned upon him that she had yet to notice him. And if she hadn't noticed him, that meant she hadn't noticed Billy yet either. As the goat rubbed up against his legs, Aaron stared from the woman to the neon sign of his destination further down the street past her, drumming his fingers thoughtfully upon the marching snare drum still hanging from his neck. He couldn't be sure that she wasn't a cop, a member of animal control, or some other city official, and as such, he couldn't risk walking Billy past her. So in a split second, Aaron made the decision that he and Billy would take the long way around to Radio City in order to circumvent her. They would walk the length of the Channel Gardens, turn right, walk a block up the street, make another right, walk a block, and then turn right one final time onto Fifth Avenue. They'd be able to get to the music hall without the women noticing them that way. They just had to hope that they didn't run into any other people along the way who might possibly pose a risk to the goat. Come on, Billy, Aaron muttered quietly before darting past the manger and starting his walk along the channel gardens, eyeing the bright angels as he passed them. 
Billy followed obediently, enjoying the fact that Aaron was scratching his head absentmindedly as they walked. When they reached the end of the row, Aaron found the area around the tree to be blissfully clear of another living soul besides himself and the goat. As he made the turn right onto 49th Street, he hesitated when his eyes caught sight of an empty bench situated at the base of the iconic tree. The tree's colored lights were twinkling in the darkness, and the star atop of it shined so brightly that Aaron was sure it could be seen from miles around, almost as if it were a beacon for people to follow. As he stared up at it, he thought he could still faintly hear the choir within St. Patrick's Cathedral singing Star of Bethlehem from a few blocks away, but wasn't entirely sure whether it was his imagination or not. Either way, it was irrelevant. In that moment, for Aaron suddenly found himself overcome with the desire to stay within the vicinity of the tree, despite knowing that he needed to get himself and Billy back to the music hall as soon as possible. But they had already been outside for so long at that point, he reasoned with himself that he was certain five more minutes wouldn't hurt. So making a snap decision, Aaron strode over to the bench beneath the tree and sat down upon it, finding it jarring just how cold its surface was on his bottom. Before he could stand back up again, however, Billy hopped up onto the bench beside him and lay across his lap like a dog. The heat radiating from the goat's body was enough to warm him up considerably within moments, and Aaron hoped that in turn his body heat would do the same for the goat. As Aaron absentmindedly scratched behind the animal's ears with one hand and rubbed the side of his drum, comforting him with his other hand, he stared up at the branches of the Christmas tree hanging over him and smiled to himself as he eyed the star atop of it, still very visible through all of its bows. Five more minutes, okay, Billy? Then we'll get you home. And whether or not the kid understood his human companion, he bawed dutifully. In response. Thanks for that, Danielle and Jackie. You are both as awesome as you come across on your podcast. As I say every week, I am continuously blown away by the talent of our guests who have agreed to help me bring my little story to life. As I am continuously blown away by all of you listeners who are eagerly taking this year-long journey with us and strapping in for the long haul to see where these characters and this plot goes. Although it's not really a long haul anymore, is it? Because this is scheduled to end December 23rd when the epilogue drops. So to quote everyone's favorite Doctor Strange, we are in the endgame now. Regardless, I appreciate each and every one of you more than you know, and I've received some wonderful comments and feedback from all of y'all. So please keep all of that coming, and please, if you're enjoying the story, consider sharing it with your family and friends on your social media feeds, while tagging streaming services like Netflix, Hulu, Hallmark, HBO Max, because you never know. While I may be sharing this story with you guys for free this year, my ultimate goal is to get this either published or for a streaming service to pick it up and turn it into a Christmas movie or miniseries. So if we share it and tag such services or publishing companies, who knows what could happen, right? So I'd be grateful if you could all help me get it in front of as many ears as possible, or as many eyes, because the text of each chapter you hear is made available on our website each week as well. So if reading is more of your thing or more of their thing, they can read our weekly installments at www.tisapodcast.com. 
And if you enjoy Tis a Podcast proper, if you ever want to comment on a movie or television show we discuss, give us feedback on a specific episode, comment on this book, or just interact with us and other listeners of the show in general, check out our social media feeds. All you have to do to get to each one is go to www.tisapodcast.com slash Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, or Facebook group. Our Facebook group is by far the most active of our social media pages all year round. And not just with Christmas chatter, although that is obviously our primary focus. There's plenty of talk about pop culture, comic books, movies, TV shows, memes, and other holidays as well. Especially those other Burr Month holidays we all love, like Halloween and Thanksgiving, which lead up to the most wonderful time and the most wonderful day of the year themselves. It's also kind of become a one-stop shop for many of the Christmas podcasts that you know and love on the Christmas Podcast Network. So not only will you find new episodes of Tis a Podcast there and get to interact with Julia, Tom, and myself there, but you'll also find new episodes of Behind the Bells, the Christmas Podcast Podcast, Seasons Eatings, Totally Rad Christmas, Christmas Clatter, TGI Podcast, A Cozy Christmas Podcast, Advent Calendar House Podcast, Christmas Conversations, Planning for Christmas, all of your favorites posted there as well, and find all the hosts of said shows you know and love on the website too. Always willing to interact with anyone and everyone about anything. It's truly a mini international Christmas family that's formed within that Facebook group. It is a thing Julia, Tom, and myself are most proud of when it comes to the show and what sprouted up out of it. But speaking of the show, if you want more bonus episodes, Christmas cards, enamel pins, ringtones, etc., check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash tisapodcast or www.tisapodcast.com slash patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you can get full-length bonus episodes of the show. We have dropped a new Patreon episode every week from the beginning of September in honor of Spooky Season, a new horror movie Halloween-themed episode every week, which will continue through Halloween Day itself, October 31st. Afterwards, November and December will be full of Christmas and Thanksgiving and even Black Friday content for y'all. So if you love the show and want bonus episodes, there is a plethora of backlogged Patreon episodes up on this site, which you can access for as, as little as $1 a month. So if you've always considered joining Patreon but haven't pulled the trigger yet, now is the time to consider joining. If you are a former patron who's dropped off, now is the time to consider rejoining. There is so much stuff up there. It's really worth the dollar per month to get all of these bonus episodes. There is something for everyone. So check it out because all the money we receive from y'all gets recycled back into Tis a Podcast and helps us put out new swag and improve the quality of the show in general. And speaking of swag, I know our very own Tom is working on a new merch site which we'll be unveiling and sharing with y'all sometime next month. So that's something extra to get excited about. But Patreon and our merch shop aside, there are plenty of free ways to help the podcast besides subscribing to Patreon and engaging with us on and sharing our social media pages. You can help the show in a free way by leaving us a review on iTunes because every new review helps new listeners to find us and helps us to spread the Christmas cheer 365 days per year. Coming up on the show this upcoming Monday, October 25th, is our final Spooky Month episode of 2021, in which Jay Skipworth, a film strip podcast, joins Tom, Julia, and myself to discuss the 1978 classic Halloween. And later that same night, Tom, Julia, and myself will be recording the first episode to kick off November 2021 and the official start of the Christmas season by covering the 
infamous film Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, which which I know a lot of you have been wondering when we were going to get around to doing. So that will be dropping in your feeds on November 1st. And on the evening of November 1st, we will be gathering to record our episode on the Ted Lasso Christmas special, which aired just a few weeks ago, which I know we're all super excited to discuss. However, before that, on Thursday, October 28th, you will get to hear chapter 39 of another Christmas story entitled Santa Baby, which yours truly, the author himself, Anthony Caruso, moi, will be reading to y'all. So keep your eyes on your podcast feeds because there's lots of great stuff coming up, lots of exciting stuff coming up, but that's not the most exciting news we have for you today. The most exciting news we have for you today is that there are only... 65 days left until Christmas. 65 days. Can you believe that? Now that is truly spooky. Hopefully you've all started preparing your menus and Christmas shopping already because of the supply shortages and coming up with ugly sweaters to wear to parties and all of that fun stuff because Christmas 2021 will be here before you know it. We are in that time of the year officially where we wish time could slow down, but we know time does not work that way. We know it's going to go by in the blink of an eye and before you know it, we're going to be counting down to Christmas 2022. So enjoy every second of the next few weeks, y'all. So once again, Thank you all for your love and support. We couldn't ask for better listeners in the world than all of you. You're truly the best, and we are so lucky we get to consider you all legitimate friends and so many of you family. Make sure to do your homework. Watch the 1978 classic Halloween in addition to Santa Claus Conquers the Martians and the Ted Lasso Christmas special, which aired during season two and aired a few weeks back. And we shall speak to you again next week. Bye, everyone. Bills will be ringing. The glad, glad news Oh, what a Christmas To have the blues My baby's gone I have no friends To wish me greetings Once again Quiet Carols by candlelight. Please come on for Christmas. Please come on for Christmas. If not for Christmas, by New Year's night. Friends and relations, send salutations.
Once again 